guys, this is Steve Baker, uh, the Pragmatic Constitutionalist, TPC, however you want to refer to me. I don't care, especially today. Um, I have a guest here. I would normally say I'm excited to have this guest here, but unfortunately, today is a day that uh, my opportunity to speak with uh, Mr. Edmund Wright, C. Edmund Wright, is one of... Uh, well, it's uh, it's it's on an occasion of sadness for some of us, and uh, uh, particularly for uh, I think for Edmund himself. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit myself, just for a couple of minutes, about this uh, event that we heard about today: the the passing of um, Rush Limbaugh. And I am not uh, going to whitewash over any of this. Uh, we all kind of have our moments when we first learned about Rush or first heard the Rush, uh, heard of Rush the first time or heard him on the air the first time. Uh, and I'll be asking Edmund about that here in a few minutes myself. But um, mine, mine was in uh, 88 or 89. And it was somebody running into the, the club that I was managing up in Minneapolis at the time and saying, Oh, my God, have you heard of this guy? Rush something something and I don't know and, and you, you've got you've got to go listen to him. He thinks and sounds so much like you. It's crazy you know so i'm like well, okay whatever so i eventually went over and put him on the dial and um and then that was that was the beginning of a you know 30 plus year addiction to hearing his voice uh, as often as i could uh being more of the libertarian persuasion myself there was many many occasions that uh, i found myself in disagreement with um, his analysis or his conclusions about uh, certain topics of or, or issues of the day but Never, ever at any time was I um, not entertained by the, the the radio man himself. So what ended up happening uh, for me was I started becoming very, very, very critical of Limbaugh uh, circa 2015, 2016, uh, as we, we always we always refer to the uh, Trump derangement syndrome. And I've always said that the Trump uh, TDS uh, cuts both ways. And, and um, I started writing some very critical articles about Limbaugh's take on uh, the, uh, the candidate to Trump and then into the presidency of Trump. Um, and uh, despite my criticisms and despite uh, the fact that I felt like that uh, um, Limbaugh had abandoned uh, his normal and typical entertaining format specifically to become the biggest and number one apologist for for uh, Donald Trump on the planet, I um, uh, was incredibly disturbed by the, his announcement, you know, a year ago, just over a year ago, that he had been uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. Because uh, whether I agree with Trump or not, about with Limbaugh or not, uh, I had this, you know, 30 plus year amazing respect for the man. Uh, what I don't have is I don't have um, a personal connection in any way like uh, Edmund does, and which we're about to uh, turn this over to him. But I, I did want to, um, I think, I think, Chuck, I think we ought to just go ahead and raise our glass here uh, and to the uh, to the great one, the great man, and uh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. And uh, uh, Godspeed, Rush. Rest in peace. Amen, bro. So, took out the good stuff to toast El Rushbo. Yeah, man. Um, just, uh, a spectacular life, a spectacular career. 
So. so let's let's uh, let me just do a really quick interview. We're not we're not going to go off on any other uh, not interview a, a quick introduction rather. We're not going to do anything else tonight except uh, talk about your relationship uh, with specifically with Rush Limbaugh and how that developed, uh, how it, uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, some of the highlights of that relationship, some, some key moments uh, that, that actually, that you participated in shaping the national um, conversation and sometimes the national debate. And then in addition to that, uh, we're going to talk about, um, you know, I'm going to press you on some of your disappointments in, in, with regards to that relationship, if that's okay. Cause I think that this is, this is a time to, let's just, Get it all out and let's just talk about it. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see how far the scotch goes. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully it goes far enough to get you to open up fully. Honestly, <laughs> you and, and I, I'm going to I'm going to also uh, begin this by saying that uh, you didn't want to do this today. You wanted to have more time to think about it and more time to um, process this in yeah. your own words. Yeah. And I pressed you and said, no, I want to, I want to do this and have this conversation while you are emotional about this and while you're, yeah. while you, while you are a little bit, um, um, I don't know what the term, right. But, uh, certainly raw would be a, uh, a good, a good way of coming at it. So anyway, so, uh, Stephen Wright, uh, writer for, uh, American thinker, uh, Breitbart, uh, he's written uh, a couple of, uh, bestselling books. Well, one in particular, uh, WTF, um, what was it? Uh, how, Karl Rove, um, and the establishment lost again. Right, right. And um, uh, which Karl Rove read, by the way, and, and was not a fan. Of, but that's a, that's a different story. He, he he loved it. I heard. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so anyway, let's let's just dive right into this from the from the very beginning. When when was your first exposure? When did you hear Rush Limbaugh the first time? Um. Before we do that, let me just say that, that what we're going to talk about as I got involved with the show, which is an amazing set of, uh, you know, events that would probably require a lot of adult beverages to believe, but it is true. Uh, my involvement was with the show more than with Rush, per se, but it's, uh, I was never paid, I was never credited, Steve, but it's, uh, it was the calling of my life. It's the most important stuff I've ever done. Mm -hmm. It was to be quoted directly by Rush is a great honor to write words that Rush used as his own was probably even a greater honor. Um, I've had the thrill of both of those, you know, many occasions for three years. And uh, it's uh, it's as inevitable as today was, um, you know, it's still a shock. I think I'm still in shock. I think you're probably in shock. Um, cheering up a little, which I didn't expect, but, uh, but you called you called this day, um, over a week ago, you told me, uh, in our, cause we, we talk, we talk every day. In fact, let's just go ahead and tell everybody we, you and I are, are embarking, uh, on the co-authorship of a book about yes. the uh, COVID scamdemic. And, and so we're talking every day right now, uh, and have been for years anyway, but, but uh, it's been more intense uh, and more frequent of late. And uh, in one of our conversations here just several days ago, you said, yeah, he's not coming back. This is it. And that was that was based on zero inside information. I just, um, uh, when he missed two or three days of one week, then the weekend, then did not come back for the first couple of days of the next week, I knew that was not planned and I knew that couldn't be good. You know, I knew that he was already three or four months into house money. Mm. Um, I think the performance he did 
I think the final few months of what we've seen with Rush Limbaugh and probably Alex Trebek too on Jeopardy, uh, we've seen two amazing American icons uh, really finish strong. Um, and and Rush just a few weeks ago sounded pretty good. His last couple of days he didn't sound that great, but he really sounded good a lot of times in the last three months, and that's that's just phenomenal. Yeah, I, di- I differed with you on the one thing. I I wanted him to do a farewell show. I wanted him. I wanted to hear how he would approach that, but you, you liked the idea that he just went out being. Well, I just, I just didn't, I didn't want him to go through the pain of knowing this is my last show. And Mm. I didn't want to, Mm. I didn't want to hear it as a, as a listener, you know? Yeah. Um, And, and obviously I was, had no control over any of that. Neither did he, as it turned out. Um, But, you know, I was, uh, I actually heard Rush the very first week he was on the air. I was in uh, the Greenville, South Carolina area, and one of his first uh, 54 stations was at WSPA in Spartanburg, Greenville, Spartanburg, same media market. And it was Tuesday or Wednesday of his first week. And uh, I just knew right then, I just said, this is going to change everything. Now, I had no idea how much it would be. And of course, now we sit here 30 some odd years later. He saved first AM radio, which was a dying medium. Then he saved FM radio, which was a dying medium. Um, and uh, he almost saved Donald Trump's second uh, second term, which would have been a spectacular swan song. Um, and, um, you know, so it, his, his passing is just... Uh, his passing is just really the, the topper of, of what's been, uh, I think, a horrible you know, a few months for anyone who loves the country, loves liberty, loves freedom, loves free speech, you know, and loves the happy warrior uh, type conservative. Um, well, that's I, what I, Rush was. I unfortunately began my uh, new year with a brand new hashtag says, and you thought um, 2020 was bad. <laughs> this has not been a good start to the year. No. And, and, uh, and I think, I think after November, fifth or sixth went by and it didn't look like we were going to be able to turn that tide. I think we knew that was probably going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I certainly can hope 2021 turns around. I don't see anything, you know, on the horizon that's going to do it. Certainly nothing that happened today, you know, makes you feel any better about it. No. Um, but uh, it's really interesting going back to listening to him that first day. And then, then this incredible series of unbelievable events that happened between 2008 and 2011, sometimes I sit back and, and I like, did that really happen? You know, but uh, Steve, you were one of three or four front row witnesses to it. Um, it did happen. Yeah. And I was in a position to literally help shape the national conversation. I mean, Russia's show was Russia's show was center court of conservative thought. And right. it was well, yeah. 30. Yeah. Let's let's uh, let's let's go to the beginning then of that relationship. Um, lead us up into the the two thousand eight um, uh, sequence of events that got you into the position where you were feeding, literally feeding lines that was being read by Rush uh, over the air. Yeah, and and like I said, you know that's true. I know it's true you know, there's proof it's true. It's just a handful of people know it's true. And most people would think we're crazy, but obviously we, we lived it. So we know it. Um, I had uh, been so involved in business that I had laid my political writing down from about 96 into 2008. Um, 
2008, I mean, I was still very involved politically, uh, you know, f- from standpoint of, of observer during that time and uh, had been involved in, in a presidential campaign in 92 and, and some other things in the early 90s after that, and then was kind of dormant for a while. But uh, Rush was quoting American Thinker a lot. And uh, so I, I just knew, I just had this stupid notion that, you know, I think exactly like this guy. And I don't mean just like most of his listeners think like him. I mean, this was this was a scary, the Frankenstein cap goes from brain to brain kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just scary. And uh, I said, yeah, if he could ever read my stuff, he'd like it. Uh, I just had that stupid notion, arrogant notion, say what you will. But I started submitting to American Thinker specifically because I wanted to get on Russia's show. Just just to be, you know, just for him to read a Edmund Wright column. And, oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Now, out of the hundreds of columnists that have written and write for American Thinker, what what uh, <laughs> what made you think you could break through that noise and catch his attention? Steve, you met, well, there were two things. First of all, when it comes to political writing, I don't lack for confidence. <laughs> um he said understatement. Um, I just knew that he would like the way I thought. He would like my sense of humor. He would like my unusual counterintuitive analogies. But how did you catch his attention? Was it a, 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 a title of an article or what? what well, I, I don't really, there. I, I don't really know that. I do know that it took me three or four articles to get past Thomas, the editor of American Thinker. And I'm thinking, Man, I was communication director for North Carolina Bush Quail. I, who the hell are you, Thomas, editing me out? You know, publish my stuff. Right, right. Uh, I've read my stuff. I read your stuff. I'm good enough to be published in American Thinker. Um, finally, he published one on March 14th, 2008. And it was the title was something like uh, Why jeremiah wright matters and it was about the obama campaign and jeremiah wright and there was a discussion that al his pastor is not relevant and i thought it was very relevant because uh, obama sought out jeremiah wright's church which is a black liberation theology church for the specific purpose of developing street black street cred in chicago mm-hmm. because here obama who's somewhat light-skinned anyway, came from a background of Hawaii, Kansas, and Harvard. I mean, that's, you know, not really street, right? Okay? Right. So he needed to get more street, and Jeremiah Wright was how he got street. He chose Jeremiah Wright to get more street cred, more black street cred. So Rush led off the show, his opening monologue on March 14, 2008, talking about C. Edmund Wright's black street cred theory about uh, Barack Obama and Jeremiah Wright. And uh, it was uh, the primary topic of his opening monologue. And uh, I just about wrecked the car when I'm hearing it driving down Glenwood Avenue in Raleigh. And uh, and that was uh, that was my first published article, American Thinker. It's my first time on Russia's show. And it led to a series of amazing events that then ended up. Uh, wait, so wait a minute. So so. You're saying the very first time you were published on American Thinker, Rush saw it. Uh, with his opening monologue, yes. Unbelievable. Wow. And now, Thomas Lifeson, the editor, had emailed me and said, and I don't know, what, I, I guess he had some indication with 
the person that he dealt with, who I, I think I'll leave her name out of this for now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but she was his contact, became my contact to the show. And, um, and uh, Thomas had some indication that Rush really liked it. And, uh, and I had no idea, of course, it'd be opening monologue. And you know, the right Rush kind of does his show. He just sort yeah. of jumps in and he has no idea what he's going to go with first. But uh, he touched base on a, a Bush economic speech for a couple of minutes. And he jumped right into uh, C. Edmund Wright's Black Street Kid Theory. Wow. Wow. All right. So. Then, have- by the way, by the way, uh, caveat, that was a Friday. Uh, Fox News Sunday talked about Rush Limbaugh's Black Street Grid theory. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think, hey, wow. wait a minute. That what wasn't a- his theory. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, I, so I, 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 of course, remember that happening. I did not remember, recall that it was your very first American Thinker uh, article. But then that actually became kind of a, it started happening a lot. It started happening a lot. He would, uh, Rush would pick up a lot of my stuff. Obviously, I gained a lot of cred with American Thinkers editors with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, I gained cred with uh, the contact who fed some information to the show and, you know, got to where Rush clearly remembered the name. So, yeah, it, it, it from March into, say, September-ish 2008, yeah, he used, he used a good number of uh, C. Edmund Wright of American Thinker articles. But, but of the handful of times that you actually called into the show, you were never C. Edmund Wright, that were you? No, and I actually never got into the show as a caller. Never called very much after he started doing that. Okay. Never could get before. in when I did, yeah. I had actually gotten in six or eight times over the years, but it was before any of this. Okay, yeah. so so since since he started actually referencing your articles in the American Thinker, you, you, st- you stopped calling in. It stopped calling in much, and when I did, I never got in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's never, never even got Bo on the phone. So tough, toughest, toughest phone call to make in America for sure. Oh, uh, no doubt, no doubt. I, I'm fortunate I got in a handful of times when I did. Mm. So back, right. that was back when when the show was smaller. So the law of large numbers was not quite as daunting. Right now, we don't we don't have to uh, get into the uh, specifics of of who made the direct connection, but I, I will go ahead and say that this is somebody that uh, Limbaugh used to refer to on the air for years as his North Carolina mistress. That is correct. Uh, yes. And so the North Carolina mistress, when you would hear um, Limbaugh refer to her, uh, was someone that was in fact feeding him um, data, uh, more or less show prep is what it was, correct? It was show prep, yes. Okay. All right. You take it from there and you reveal as much of that connection as you want to or don't want to. And then, uh, but let's, let's, let's make sure we get you now to the position where Limbaugh is no longer reading American thinker articles, but he's reading your words as though he's speaking them himself. Cause that's probably yeah. the most un, that's, that's the most unknown um, detail about um uh limbaugh is you know he, he you know look as as uh um as confident as you are in your own writing <laughs> one of one of limbaugh's uh you know part of his shtick was that he you know had half his brain tied behind his back and uh talent on loan from god and so he was not at a loss for uh, pumping himself up as well, but that was part of his, you know, entertainment shtick. But uh, nevertheless, uh, his his uh, ha- his other half of his brain was being fed sometimes. 
Yeah, I, I, I used to joke. I was the other half of that brain sometimes. Um, it was uh, it, it was interesting as as C. Edmund Wright got quoted uh, on American Thinker. Obviously, a lot of conservatives in the Raleigh area listened, as, as they do everywhere. And uh, I guess through the six degrees of separation theory, uh, a friend of mine uh, happened to know who this person was in Raleigh. Now, keep in mind, Rush lives in Florida, and American Thinker's based out of California. And I'm sitting here in Raleigh and had no idea for months that the person who was uh, bringing my work in front of Rush lived about four miles from me in Raleigh. <laughs> so it was happening via and you had and you had no idea it was the off referred to North Carolina mistress I, I put I put that together later oh. you know when I met this person and we got to know each other a little bit and uh yes confirmed that and by the way for the record she was not and was never a mistress she did grow up with him in Cape Girardeau and in fact Rush introduced her to her husband on a blind date so point is they were lifelong friends and this was they were lifelong they were this lifelong was her role her, her role in the entertainment forever. side of the business yeah. right was to be the the mistress now i get that yeah yeah so he you, actually so you, used to mention her and her husband's name in the 90s occasionally so and so from raleigh but that got too much attention to them so he had to stop doing that so. mm. all right so you uh so you finally made the connection and who who first suggested to uh, did you suggest to her i want to i want to feed some information or did she say to you look we can get we can do this um in a certain way a certain method there's a technique he likes to um have his uh show prep pre uh, presented how did you even how did that even happen you and you've never even told me this <laughs> because first of all it was none of that uh we met my wife and myself, her and her husband, uh, and delightful couple, by the way, we met at a Mexican restaurant in the Research Triangle and over numerous bottles of wine, uh, got to the bottom of how all this happened. And she sort of, she sort of showed me the, what, what a prep looked like. Hmm. And I just started sending it to her. I didn't say I was going to, she didn't say, would you send me? I just started sending it to her. You just started, and you just took it upon yourself. I just took it upon myself and stuff started ending up on the air. Okay. So now because of my relationship with you directly, I had the opportunity to actually see how rush required that prep to be designed. It, you know, it was color coded and, you know, indented here and there, and it was set up in a very specific way. So when you said she showed it to you, you saw it and memorized it or did she? I, well, it was, I mean, it was pretty, first of all, it was, the format was pretty simple. And it was basically, you know, size of the font, color of the font, and didn't necessarily have to be exactly right. It was just a, it was just a general format, you know, and and uh, and it and it, it changed a little bit over the course of three years, you know, as as what he was, what it seemed like he was comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, uh, I just, uh, I just, well, first thing I did was just. Uh, send her a little smart aleck comment about something I heard on uh, the opening to Brit Hume show and, and uh, Rush led off his show the next day with that comment. And I emailed her, I said, does that comment sound as familiar as I think? And she said, oh yeah. <laughs> so I said, I thought to myself, okay, it's on now. And, uh, and uh, I, the first, the first, I think the first thing that actually got used on the air was uh, 
Kansas City Star had come out with some stupid column about uh, Obama complaining about uh, being, uh, you know, socialist being a racial term. And so I made fun of the Kansas City Star article saying, you know, something like, wait a minute, socialists are a bunch of dead white guys. How is that a racist slur to Obama to call him a socialist? And uh, and he used that. And then just one thing led to another. And then, uh, you know, at, at some point, not too long after that, you and I talked about it. And uh, you and a friend of mine from South Carolina and my wife and uh, one guy who worked at 106.1 radio who will remain nameless. Uh, and my kids, uh, that was it. That was the only people who knew what was going on. Wow. No, see what, uh, in the, in, in the reason why I can validate this is because, and this happened on more than one occasion. Is, it got, it got funny actually. Right. Right. Edmund would email me in advance of the show, the exact prep in the, the style and the format that, that rush required the, um, what, what you had submitted that day to the North Carolina mistress. And then rush would come on and sure enough, either in his opening monologue or at some time, you know, someplace very near the top word for word reading in his voice, but in your words, um, I'm, I, I've got it right in front of me. It's on my screen. So I'm hearing rush on the radio. I'm looking on my screen and there it is. And I got it 15 minutes before he ever even went on the air. So I can validate that these <laughs> events happened as you're testifying. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it was, uh, and then, then it got to the point where you would call me or you would email me <laughs> right? and you would say, I just heard rush talk about so-and-so please tell me that was your prep. Yeah, it, and, it, well, and it would almost always be correct. You know? Right, right, you, right. You got to where you could recognize, the, you could recognize my prep. Yeah, well, and and a lot of that has to do with you know, you and I have spent untold number of hours together, um, you know, both discussing politics, business, philosophizing, and and you know, sharing the, uh, um, the you know what, and the adult beverages, as as Rush would say, and. Um, and so I, I knew enough about your slight variation on his voice to be able to pick it out when it happened, um, your particular style. And so I could then do exactly what you said. I would hear Rush say something and I'd go, oh God, that had to be, you know, and I'd shoot you over a text or, or an email and you, yep, yep, that was mine. And then you'd send it back over and you'd show me exactly what it looked like. like Damn. And then over the years, okay. So <laughs> this is true. I, yeah. I know this sounds people watch and think we're like, nah, right, right. we, I'm sorry. You couldn't make this crap up. Right. But, but we, but, but you actually do have the evidence because first of all, yeah. all right, let, let's just start here. You have a book. It's probably, I'm trying to get it on the screen here where people can see it. Uh, I'm oh, and by the way, I'm in, I'm snowed in in Tennessee somewhere, by the way, this is not my, normal background as everybody knows, but, uh, uh, I'm literally snowed in, could not get out of the actual neighborhood that I, I tried to get out yesterday and went, eh, forget it. And now it's snowing again tonight. So, um, I have seen with my own eyes, you know, your, your book that's about this thick of all of the show prep that he used. It's incredible. Well, that wasn't even all of it. That was just, that was just a sampling of it. Yeah. That was just the sample that I've seen. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it was a he used, I mean, and 
twenty in a twenty eight months or whatever it was, he used a tremendous amount, and, and you know, and yeah. and some days it would seem like I did the whole show. Some days hardly anything. You know, it just that's that's script writing, ghost writing. That that just comes with that territory. But the point, yeah. but the point is, is that if there was ever a reason, legally or otherwise, that you needed to validate the absolute proof of this, and it's not just my testimony and your testimony, two friends getting together and making up a grand tale, yeah. that you you have the time stamped, you know, emails of what went out when it went out. And then obviously his entire uh, history of his show is archived audio. So it's all there. It just has to yeah. be compared. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, I, I don't receive any need to, do, yeah, it, it's all forensically backed up, of right, course. Right, not, right. not because I did anything. It's just everything was done by email. And once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. all right, so so we, let's jump now to, um. I think let's just go straight to the top. What 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 would you consider to be the number one moment that where uh, C. Edmund Wright helped shape the actual national debate or national dialogue, national discussion because of something you fed Rush Limbaugh? Yeah, well, the the most important show prep I did was not my favorite per se. My favorite are some of the funny ones that are freaking hilarious. Yeah, and Rush thought was hilarious, and that I could listen to him leading up to it and know that he couldn't wait to get to the punchline, which I had written. That is a trip, I'm gonna tell you. Um, yeah. We'll get to a couple of those, but let's go to the. We we'll get to a couple of those, uh, and and my Fort Hood analogy, which may be my best analogy ever, but. Um, the number one thing that I did was, in general, was shift him off of MSNBC and Morning Joe and shift him on the CNBC and Squawk Box. And this is early 2009. Obama's just taken over. CNBC at the time is a fairly conservative network. It's watched by Merrill Lynch brokers and Edward Jones brokers everywhere and about nine other people at the time. And I was one of those nine other people. So I'm watching in February of 20 of 2009, I'm watching, and by the way, I'm in Charlotte on a convention, a Charlotte, which as a lot of you know, and some of you may not, is kind of Wall Street South, you know, big banking, big banking investment center. area. Mm -hmm. So in 2009, Wall Street, nor Wall Street South are doing very good for obvious reasons. So I'm in Charlotte uh, in February of 2009 at a convention totally unrelated, you know, to, to, to this work. And um, I'm in my hotel room and I got to go play convention for my other business because that's what's putting food on the table. Uh, but I'm just, I'm, I want to get one or two show preps off to Susan, you know, just to, oops. Ah, you said the name. All right, whatever. All right, just want to get one or two show preps off. And uh, so I, I watch, and I'm one of the 12 people in the country who's a Rick Santelli fan at the time. No one's heard of Rick Santelli <laughs> at this time. So... Santelli comes on and he is really, really upset at the uh, Obama threatening to excuse people who are behind on their mortgage, making those who pay their mortgage pay for the delinquent mortgages. Right. So Santelli, who, who is a conservative with strong libertarian leanings and, and is a had his little cult following of, of CNBC viewers, uh, he got on the floor of the Chicago Merck, which is where he normally reports from, sometimes from New York, but he was in Chicago. And he goes on what is now known as his Tea Party rant. Right. And it was a little under five minutes, about 4.54, I think. 
And I'm sitting there watching it, and he's getting cheers from the traders in the back. I mean, he just he owns the audience. And, Any of uh, us that were plugged in at the time remember that because he is given credit for launching the Tea Party at that moment. And right, and and right by that, and there are several versions of what launched it, but the one that gives him credit is actually the closest to the correct version for the story I'm just telling. And uh, so he does his rant. He has a couple of great moments in the rant, including the one where he threatens to hold a uh, Chicago Tea Party on Lake Michigan. And uh, I'm sitting there drinking my coffee in the hotel room at the Westin downtown Charlotte. And I just about spit out my coffee at that, you know, at that line. You know, I just knew, man, this is big. This is big. And uh, I could tell the reaction of the traders knew it was big. And, uh, and, uh, so I say, well, CNBC usually takes about 30 or 40 minutes before they put their little video segments up on their website. So I figure, okay, I got to jump in the shower, get ready to go do my, you know, play the convention day in this other business. But after the shower, CNBC will have that posted. I'll be able to go through, break it down, send it to the show prep and, and, you know, see what happens. So I get out and I break it down in the format I do and I embed the video and I say at 38 seconds, he says this and at a minute 48, he says that and at 2.53, he says that, you know, whatever it is. And then I put in some suggested commentary there, which would be the ghostwriting piece. And then I go and I play convention and I don't think about it. I don't really have an internet signal all day until about five o'clock and uh, get back to my motel hotel room. And, uh, and I got an email back from my show prep on Santelli and uh and it it said have you seen drudge rush sent this to him well so then i go to the drudge report and <laughs> there's red end of the world headlines and the siren going and and mm -hmm. cnbc floor trader santelli threatens tea party revolt now matt drudge has no idea who rick santelli is before this day Right. Rush has never used Rick Santelli before the day. I'm trying to get Rush to use CNBC and get off Morning Joe and that low IQ pablum over there, you know, yeah. uh, because that, that, CNBC is actually was conservative at the time, uh, was doing some good breakdown of Obama's and Pelosi's Marxism. You know, they even had and Jim and this Cramer. Was, and this was before he uh, banned the use of MSNBC programming. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because he was he was still doing more Morning Joe at the time, but right. Morning Joe is about forty IQ points short of what I can digest, so I, I didn't do any more. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but but I was big into CNBC. I'm just that just mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a, macroeconomics is just something I'm really interested in. So, um, it, CNBC spoke to me on that, and I was uh, so I I sent a lot of stuff, but anyway. Then I go to Rush's archives for that day, and basically his entire show was uh, was on Rick Santelli, and the the name of that show, unofficial name of that show, was the Pulse of the Revolution Has Begun. So, credit me for knowing it was a big moment. Credit Rush and Drudge, the two biggest at that time, the two biggest conservative media people on the planet, for instantly knowing it was a big moment and leading yeah. their respective, uh, their respective mediums with it. Um, but it was that email picked up by Russian drudge that I guess you could say launched the tea party movement. A quick diversion. And you pointed this out earlier today, but I guess we both noticed that when drudge 
went live with the announcement of Limbaugh's passing. There was no siren. I think he did add it later, but did yeah, he? I never yeah, thought. Yeah. Mm -mm. I, uh, I, uh, you know, what, and obviously the drudge thing is a mystery to a lot of people with a lot more in the, in, into having been connected than I am. So, yeah, well, there was, a, there was a long, long period of time where, um, Rush and Drudge seemed to be, you know, in lockstep. Uh, now, along and, with Breitbart. Along right, with right. Breitbart. Rush, and, Drudge. Right, he, this is what would happen. This is what got Trump the nomination. If you want to know why Ted Cruz lost the nomination, and Ted Cruz would be philosophically going back to 2015. I mean, a lot has happened since then, but take yourself back to 2015. Ted Cruz would be philosophically the choice of Breitbart, philosophically the choice of Limbaugh, philosophically the choice of Drudge. But those three outlets chose Trump for various reasons, and then Drudge took it on himself to really make Cruz look bad, you know. So, mm. so I said, I wrote an article for Breitbart uh, back in 2015. I said the winner of the Republican nomination will be the winner of the talk radio Drudge Breitbart primary. I said, what, whoever those outlets choose to back will win. Now, I thought that person would be Cruz at that point. Trump was not even in the race at that point. Um, and, but then, you know, when he came in, that everything changed. And, and going, going back to 2015, 2016, um, uh, and this was when many of the national uh, mainstream media outlets were declaring the possibility that we were seeing a libertarian moment, you know, because you had the rise of um, uh, the, uh, and, and of course, a lot of it was a diversion. They were they were trying to obviously um, extricate as many votes as they could away from the GOP and away from mm -hmm. Trump as they possibly could. But they were there was a lot of focus given at the time to Rand Paul. They you know they they there was one one uh, article in particular declared him the most interesting man in politics in America. And then you know then there was all of these articles that were centered around him and Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, uh, talking about the the libertarian moment. And then of course the Libertarian Party was uh, expected to to have its you know its best outing ever because of the this taste disdain for, for the two major party candidates and all this other stuff. But one of the things that used to make me crazy, and I'm bringing this back to, um, to rush and even though, and, and, uh, but drudge had a big part in this as well, because I think drudge was a lot more libertarian than he was uh, conservative. He just knew where I agree. He, he knew where his while, bread was yeah. being buttered. Right. And he was giving a lot of, um, a lot of attention to that libertarian uh, moment as well, but rush would make me crazy and this is when i started really getting angry with him was that when when the polls would come out you know a new poll would be released uh, or composite of the poll or, the, or you know the real clear politics or whatever and it would be you know trump number one and Cruz number two and then Rand would be number three and then rush would read the poll down so he would read the top five or top ten and he would just skip over Rand's name i'm looking at the same newspaper really? article Oh, absolutely. And he would ignore him. He would not mention that was, that was four years after my time. I can't tell you. I can't. Oh, no, I know, I know. I know. But, but this is this is when I lost, you know, I, I started really getting angry uh, at, at and I would I would write a, a right when he would do that. I would write about it. And 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 it was he just really, of course, he, he never liked either one of the Pauls. Now, interestingly enough, in Russia's final several shows, 
oh my gosh. I mean, he was, he was praising Rand Paul, you know, all the time because of Rand's obviously his, his, his activities of, of late have been uh, certainly more uh, in line with, with Russia's thinking and, and, and particularly he, uh, Rand's def- defenses of uh, Trump's uh, legal yeah. arguments as it relates to yeah. related to the impeachment, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, so that's, that's when I was really, really having a hard time with Limbaugh myself was when he, he began, he, you know, and again, it's one thing to be, up the GOP's butt 100% of the time. And it's one thing to be up the, uh, you know, Trump's ass 100% of the time. But then when he would literally just leave out information, okay, well, then, you know, he was, he was doing some of the same things that we accuse the mainstream press of doing as well. But he was totally focused 100% on making sure that Trump won that election and he wasn't going to give any, you know, um, he, he did. He 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 changed in 2015. I often wondered how I would have handled that had I still been involved, you know, behind the scenes because I didn't change in 2015. Um, right. You know, it's it, it you know. So it, I, I philosophically had a lot of problems with the show 2015, 2016 as well. So. Yeah, and we talked about that a lot. Now let's go. Yeah. Let's go back. Uh, let's go back to the, your time though, um, contributing to the to the Limbaugh program and, and indeed the Limbaugh legacy. You said that you had a couple of um, analogies or funny moments that uh, were your favorite moments, maybe not the biggest moments uh, in terms of affecting yeah. the national dis- dialogue, but uh, your favorite moments. Give me a couple of those. Well, <laughs> one thing I had a one-liner that Rush, that uh, he used uh, after Obama won the Nobel Prize, which happened shortly after Obama blew the Chicago Olympics. You know, he was going to secure the Olympics for Chicago, he and Michelle, and they, they bombed on that. Uh, then shortly after that, they won, he won the Nobel Prize, which was obviously ridiculous. <laughs> so uh, I wrote the comment uh, that Rush used that not what's, not sure what's more embarrassing, losing the Olympics or winning the Nobel Prize. <laughs> so uh, Chris Matthews tweeted that and made, made that one go viral. Uh, the Fort Hood analogy, it, you know, that, that was obviously a tragedy, um, uh, obviously a, a terrorist attack in America. Uh, Major Hassan, you know, killed 13 mm-hmm. or 14 soldiers. And uh, the day after that, uh, Obama and uh, some general named Casey were down at Fort Hood. And they were walking around Fort Hood just confounded as to what in the world caused this workplace violence. You know, can't figure out what happened here. You know, so they're just walking around there. And there was something, was something familiar about the, the mindset of Obama and Casey. It was really bothering me. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So this is uh, it's in the middle of Russia's show. And then it hit me. They're walking around acting like these damn stupid parents at a no score league little league game. You know, mm-hmm. one of these games where they proudly don't keep score and the parents right. are up there congratulating themselves and nobody knows the score. And little Johnny over there didn't got to swing 48 times before he finally hit one because we don't strike out and all that. And they're, they're congratulating themselves on this. Of course, Steve, the kids know what the damn score is. Yeah, yeah. Every kid in the dugout knows how many people cross cross home plate for both teams. They know what the score is. And and you know, and, 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 being, and the- being a parent during that era, uh, yeah. I can tell you that if the kid didn't know, they would sneak over to the parents. And goes, Dad, what's the score? Yeah, yeah but, but that the fathers knew what the score was, oh, and the kids knew what the score was. But mm-hmm. what 
Well, it, and the, the kids in the dugout were the Fort Hood soldiers, and they knew what the damn score was. The score mm-hmm. was jihadis 13, Fort Hood nothing. They knew right. what the score was. Right. And so I, I ripped that analogy off uh, just during a, actually doing a media timeout and uh, emailed it to my source, and she emailed it back and said, is this yours? I said, absolutely. And uh, Rush used it and did a great job with it, as you would expect, within like two minutes. So that was yeah. the Fort Hood no score league uh, thing. Any other I one think, real quick? I, I think my favorite one was during the Obama stash days. You remember the, uh, they, they had these people lined up in Detroit to get some sort of free handout. If they right, had right. $24,000 a couple or under $16,000 an individual income. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the lady that went viral interviewed by a TV station, in Detroit, yeah. Talking about the Obama stash. I'm going to get me the Obama stash. So it was the Obama. Anyway. It was a Detroit newspaper, Free Press, I think, did a big story on it. And uh, and they were talking about what it, this Obama cash was and who qualified. And it was like, and for couples uh, making 24000 or less or individuals making 16800 or less. And uh, at the same time, uh, Charlie Rangel was under investigation for tax fraud. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had forgotten to he had forgotten to report that virgin island rental property income i think it was somewhere in the caribbean right uh and uh so i, I interjected into the story after the sixteen thousand twenty four thousand dollar cutoff i said uh which i think means charlie Rangel qualifies for all the income he remembers you know to do that <laughs> so i wove the charlie Rangel story in with the obama stash story Mm. which was one of the things I think Rush really liked is I would weave two or three things in together like that. Which is the kind of thing that he does and does. Which is the kind of thing that he does, which when he was, as I heard him do that story during the day, because I knew what the punchline was, I could tell he couldn't wait to get to the punchline. Now you wouldn't notice it if you don't know what the punchline is, Mm -hmm. but I could tell he was waiting to get to the punchline. Of course he delivered it perfectly yeah. and it, it was a great bit so so uh, now let, let's let's go directly to the the end of this relationship all right so tell me what happened we we we've talked a little bit we did a podcast here back uh oh gosh it's been almost a year ago now but sometime early on in the yeah. covid thing uh talking about the early uh, ramifications, what was going on with COVID-19 and the government's response to that. And then we talked a little bit, we spent a little bit of time on your relationship with Limbo then, but the one thing we didn't get into was how did this thing come to a crashing halt? Well, it had been a little over two years and I had had more fun than I'd ever had doing anything in my life. I had had more impact on big issues than anything I'd ever done in my life. Uh, it, it, it was a dadgum blast, mm. you know. Um, I think you even had fun vicariously for me. Oh, yeah. I, I had I had fun just, um, you know, because uh, as you know, in, in my in my career, or at least the career I used to have pre-COVID, um, the, you know, I work from home as well. So I had the opportunity to sit at home and listen to the radio yeah. as I work. And 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 that was, uh, uh, that was a, you know, for quite a long period of time, that was a, uh, an interesting side, um, uh, little piece of entertainment in my own life was to watch what was happening with you and with Rush uh, as that as that yeah. developed and transpired. Yeah, and you know, I, and I, I mean, I, I did. I'm very proud of the work I did there. Uh, it was it was good. It was funny. It was insightful. I think everything I did probably stands the test of time. Um, it was it was 
it was bittersweet, as any ghost writer will tell you, it always is. Uh, that's just sure. the nature of the beast, you know. But but you do it for the sweet part. And uh, what I felt happening was that my contact might lose her gig because she was not a fan of the new woman in Russia's life who ended up becoming is now the widow, you know. Right, right. Um, and uh, so she thought she was going to lose her deal, which of course meant I would lose my deal. But it also meant Rush would probably be looking for someone else to, to fill that. It's, and look, it's, he did all his own show prep in first 12, 15 years. Uh, there was three newspapers, three networks, CNN and, and C-SPAN, and that was it. Right. Uh, and, and, so he, and he really did. So, I mean, I, I don't think he had a bit of help for 15 years. But as, after a while, the media grew, the Internet grew, and, and you can't – no one person can see everything. And that's where this person came in. And that's what I helped, you know, just get another set of eyes, you know, who could help feed this. Um, so I thought he probably wanted to continue with someone else if the new Mrs. Limbaugh forced a change on the uh, staff here. And I had done two and a half years for free and felt like I had earned my stripes. So I did a creative end run to make some contacts and ended up just having some pretty condescending phone calls with his attorney, a very reputable attorney firm out of Florida. But uh, I, I, I threw the Hail Mary. I knew it might get intercepted, but I, thought, I felt like it might be coming to an end anyway with, with things out of my control. So, mm. Yeah, but you... it, also, it also ruined my uh, ruined my relationship with my contact and I, I sent her a condolence email today and it went through so apparently that email address is still good um you know because I, I know this was devastating to her and her husband because they sure they were friends you know for life lifetime, so. right well, lifetime friends but uh you as i recall back in uh, so this was uh 2010 2011 11. So yeah, I remember exactly where I was. I was standing in, in the parking lot at uh, um, a golf club in Durham, North Carolina. And I had a couple hours to kill and you and I spent quite a bit of time on the phone at that time. And I was encouraging you to go for it. Just let's, you know, you, you need to go ahead. And if this, if this is coming to an end, at least make the effort to let Rush know who it is that has been feeding him this information for the last two and a half years. He, he clearly knew what, what I did and what this other person did. There was some overlap, but there was a very different flavor to what I did and what she did. But did, um, you, but did you ever find out if the same guy who he used to read, you know, word for word, your articles from the American Thinker, used to read your articles down, you know, maybe not the entire article, but you know how they, how, yeah. how they would do at least, you know, the, 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 the first two or three paragraphs or the pertinent points. And then, then he would, you know, then he would riff on that. But the same guy that would read C Edmund Wright's articles in America, Theater, did he ever know that that was the same voice that he was getting fed about Santelli, the tea party, the, you know, Fort hood, blah, blah, blah. You know, I never could determine that. I never could determine that. I, uh, I, uh, you know, I kind of thought, yeah, 50, 50, maybe, you know, um, you know, and, and so I never could determine that. I, I certainly wanted him to know that, you know, Yeah. I wanted him to know that, you know, these 15 things that you loved and these four articles that you quoted, yeah, it's all the same person, you know, 
Uh, I said you had to, I, I'm thinking he had to know that at some point in 2008, the whole flavor of his show prep changed, or at least it was an additional flavor, you know, in his menu. Uh, and it, he had to know it was a new person and the same new person. He had to know that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you also do or do not know that he ever got the package or ever saw the package that you sent in your attempt to make a direct. I, I, I don't know what he saw. Uh, he I mean, you know, you know, both snurdly received it, right? Yeah. We went to his house. Yeah. So he, I mean, it was FedEx and he had to sign for it, right? Yeah. So, but the only person I ever talked to was the attorney. So. That was it. Yep, you there? I I am here and I hear you, but uh, your video has uh, blinked out. Are you still with me? Hello. Yeah. Can you not hear me? Can you not hear me? Testing one two one two one two one. Um, I'm gonna let. Uh, uh, I'm going to send him a note real quick and let him sign back in while I continue to uh, ramble here for a moment. And I might actually tell or talk about a couple of stories. There, oh, there you are. You're back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. You did a little blank out on me there. Um, yeah, I was going to ramble, but uh, you just saved everyone from hearing me ramble for a few minutes as I was going to contact you and say, just, just log back in. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so you, so you know, you know that uh, Snurdly accepted the package, but you don't know that it was ever forwarded. Through. So you have no idea at this point. No, yeah, I, 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 right. I, I don't know. All I know is a few days after that, I heard from a very famous attorney firm in Miami. That was it. And the terms of that response were? Well, the, the terms of the response were. <laughs> Back off? <laughs> well, no, it, it, they were obviously worried about that, which I, I never threatened any of I mean, just it, talk, it, talk about the paranoid world. And, and look, maybe if, maybe if you're in his shoes, you are paranoid. So I'm not going to make a judgment. Yeah. On that. Right. Um, but it was sort of like, pretended like none of this ever happened. And then I, hit them with some more information and it was like, okay, it happened, but we're still not interested, okay. which I, it, I don't know why I was very unthreatening. I was very positive, very humble, very creative, very creative. And, but that's not the easiest person to get in contact with, by the way. No, no. In fact, maybe one of the hardest. Notoriously private to begin with. And, uh, you know, Again, when for good reason. For good well, yeah. Reason. And when his three hours was over, he was done. He had no intention of, uh, extending himself out beyond that. Although I did, you know, I, I read, um, I read, a, you know, uh, probably a dozen different tributes today. And one of the ones that I read was uh, uh, Shanklin's uh, tribute, the, um, uh, the editor of uh, Cigar Aficionado um, and about uh, Rush's ongoing uh, commitment to their charities, you know, their, their, that they did every year. And at least, you know, at least two a year that rush would participate in and was very generous and, and, uh, and giving both his time and otherwise, but he, he, he also reemphasized how notoriously, um, uh, private rush was. And although they had an incredibly close personal relationship, he said that they were, he said, just in text data alone, just the amount of text that they wrote would, would be the equivalent of about a 600 page book that they, in their, in their relationships, which began in uh, 1994. And wow, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and he, he, uh, uh, as I said, reemphasized how, uh, incredibly private 
Rush was otherwise, but he would show up for the events and he would keep his commitments and he'd be very generous at the event itself. But when it was time to go, he got the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I, and I can, I can only imagine to be that controversial, to be that famous and, and, uh, and uh, he, he, yeah. It, it, yeah. I can't, I can't imagine what a day in, in his shoes was, would be like. Right. And let now speaking of controversial. Okay. So, so you and I knew that this was going to happen and you know what the, the, this is what social media was going to do to rush today. We knew yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going to read, I'm, I'm only going to read two of what have to be millions of comments today. And these are just a couple that came across my own feed. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Rush Limbaugh was a shitty, cynical person who did everything he could to make the world meaner, dumber, and more divided. I'm glad he's dead, and I wish it had happened a lot sooner. Okay, that's one. Uh, second one, and these are not even the worst that I've read today. I think you tried to stay away from this, didn't you? I, I didn't try to stay. I stayed away from you it. You did stay away from it. Well, I yeah. I. I I took the I took the the blow for you. It's easy to make fun of Rush Limbaugh right now, but it's important to remember that he also brought a lot of people a lot of joy by dying. How about that? You know, it it, it it's it, it's interesting because I'm gonna say um, I probably <laughs> donated half a million dollars worth of work to him mm-hmm. basically yeah and he as a professional treated, writer treated treated me very poorly and all of that that's unbelievable this this i've remained to the last day a huge fan of his a big supporter of what he did and all he did was love the country and just have a really good way of talking about that and telling you why you should love it too yeah, it's been it's been one one of the more entertaining aspects of what I've read today have been how many people called him a racist, white nationalist, white supremacist. I mean, this is that's a prevailing theme on on the social media, Twitter, Facebook uh, threads today, and yet his own chief of staff, Bo Snerdly, who says gave him a very short tribute. He said, you know, Rush, I love you, and always will essentially what Bo posted today and boast Bo's as black as black can be. And Bo has been paid seven figures as Russia's number one man for many years. Yeah. Many yeah. years. That's not exactly what a white nationalist, white supremacist would do. No, no, no. Either, no. either employ, engage, continue to give cred to that guy every single day on the, on the, uh, and, and he made him his uh, official Obama. What was it? What did he used to call him? Uh, his uh, the Obama, Obama, yeah, yeah, the Obama, Obama yeah, what critic or whatever, something like that. Yeah, yeah. He gave him but, a, an acronym and the official Obama critic, and he would allow Bo yeah. to come on and, and criticize as the, you know, the, the house, you know, black guy. And yeah. then, and then, so, so as soon as, as soon as I, so after I read, and, and I, and, and like I said, I, t- I took, I took these slings and arrows for you, uh, Edmund. So you didn't have to do this today, but suddenly something dawned on me and I just wrote just these few words down just for me to have, because it's probably going to go somewhere in, a, in an article of my own later on. But I said, 
because of the tidal wave of comments about Rush Limbaugh's passing on my personal social media feeds, I'm being forced to ask them and myself one simple question. What percentage of my own political beliefs must align with your own so that you don't also wish me dead and burning in hell? I mean, because, because essentially as I read this and, and here's a follow-up question I, I wrote, I said, and I said, if I don't meet your standard, should I take that as a threat? Because already in the culture that we're in right now, we are facing, you know, obviously the deplatforming, the, the shadow banning, the, uh, the cancel culture that's happening to voices from the right, uh, liberty voices, uh, libertarian voices, conservative voices. Uh, we, we know what's happening. We know that, that those of us, look, look, as a libertarian, I was on the front line years and years and years and years and years ago saying, yeah, gay marriage, I'm cool with that. I think you're stupid. Don't, you know, why do you want to subject yourself to what, you know, <laughs> I've had to go through as a heterosexual person, you know, legally that why do you want that? Okay. Yeah. If you want it fine, I'm, I'm totally on your side. You're stupid, but that was my, that was always my take on it. And, and, and the, the, the same, the same thing as it, as it relates to, to race, anybody that knows anything about who we are as libertarians knows that we don't give a shit. We don't care. We don't look at the color. All we look at is, you know, is the value of what your contribution is to the project that I'm working on at a time at the time has nothing to do. And for me as a musician, that's, I never hired based on color, never happened one single time as, as a band leader or, or, or as a band manager in all the years that I've worked. Uh, it, and, and the, the dirty little secret is that, I mean, that's, that's, that's how most conservatives, uh, you know, operate as well. But, see, I, you, this, this, but you're this in your business. You've been, you've employed hundreds of people in your career, hundreds of people over the years, and yeah. and you hire based on production, yeah, not yeah. skin color, yeah, and so that's 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 how we feel about it. But the way we're being characterized right now, and the way that I saw Rush characterized right now, which you and I both know is not true, and these these are people who obviously have never listened to his show, or they couldn't possibly have uh, that that um, um, uh, have been being uh, have drawn those conclusions about him. But but at at the end of the day, as I as I look at these things that I this one question I wrote, what percentage of my own political beliefs must align with your own so that you don't also wish me dead and burning in hell? Because that's what they wished for him. They wished either that they could have done it themselves, that they could have accelerated it themselves, that they could have made it happen sooner themselves. And that's where they're putting us right now into uh, so they either want us deprogrammed or they want us into a, a deep or a, you know a re-education camp or they want us canceled. Well, and here, this, this goes, this, damn it, this goes back to Charlottesville. And I remember thinking at the time, because, because Rush is a white supremacist because they tie him to Trump, mm. even though Rush was around for 28 years on the radio before Trump got into politics. Um, and even though Trump, big friends of Herschel Walker and used to be big friends with Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, you know, yeah. um, but suddenly, you know, he makes, and he didn't say about Charlottesville what they said he said about Charlottesville, but he, he did not handle it very well either. Steve Bannon didn't handle it very well either, but um, that's, that is now metastasized Steve as to all conservatives 
are racist. That's now where we are. Yeah, but the mainstream media has made that so because they refuse, mainstream and social media. Yeah, they were yeah. they refuse to carry the full part of that. You know, the, the, some good people. You know, there's some good people in that crowd or whatever. Whatever the exact quote yeah. was, and and they they refuse to carry the entire context of that quote where Trump was incredibly critical critical of those yeah yeah they, they, they do what they the what they use they use trump they use the trait of trump's against him and that is trump had a just and i don't know why but trump has a little bit of a security problem insecurity problem and he just was really hard to hesitate it was hard for him to criticize anyone who was for him but it was the um, but it's the same thing that they've done about the BML, uh, BLM and and rights. It's the exact same thing that they've done for a year now, or since uh, last summer, since um, uh, George Floyd's death, is is that it's mostly peaceful. Well, Trump didn't even say it was a mostly non-racist rally. He just said that there were some good people, but then he but he also said that it was a bad group of people, but involved with them were some good, you know, there was a few good people too. Yeah. That's, that's literally proportionally the opposite of what we've been told about the I other know, situation. I know, I know. I know. But 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 it's because of that lie that it's we've gotten to this point now where they want us dead, and that's why I'm asking that question. So so when you when you read this vitriol, this hatred, and, and I mean we're and, and again if we're talking about social media and their rules, their community standards, we're talking about people wishing the worst possible, vile, painful acts that could be performed on a human in the afterlife at this point. Why aren't they being pulled down? Well, you know why. I mean, uh, it, it's you know they're the they're the Khmer Rouge and we're in the Gulag. You know. Well, yeah, there we are. All right, so so take uh, let, let's. I, I said we were going to stay on rush here, and and we kind of you know I, I I actually it's my fault that we diverted a little bit, but the uh, the the bottom line for from what I want to get from you to close this thing out is, is that uh, um, you didn't get everything that you wished you had gotten from that relationship that you had. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Right. Uh, you actually even never met him personally. That's correct. Right. But he used your words for, you know, almost three years if there was one thing that you could do differently in this entire process that you thought you may have changed the trajectory of that relationship, or maybe even secured a more solid, maybe even a financial relationship, maybe even an ongoing relationship that would have lasted up until you know today to his passing, what would, what, what would you have done differently? There's only one thing I could have done differently, and that would have been to do nothing and hope that the tension between my contact and Russia's girlfriend, who was becoming his fiance, you know, just mm -hmm. hope that that tension passed. And actually, I, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether that prep relationship is still continued, you know, through the end of his show or not. I, I don't know. I the show changed a little bit. I mean, the show evolved over years the way any show has to. Um, and I have a very good feel for how prep was done up through 2011. I don't have much of a feel for how it was done after that. I don't know if this person continued her relationship 
and whether there was any way to do it. I had laid it on the line for two and a half years for free. I, I could not continue that right. forever with no reward. I mean, it, I just couldn't. Uh, my other businesses suffered. That was a sacrifice I was willing to make for a while, but only for a while. Yeah. You know? And, and, and have you considered telling this story in greater detail, either in written form or book form or in some other expository you, way? Usually when you bring it up. <laughs> you, when, well, when I bring it up. Yeah. Cause I've, I've encouraged you to do so, but um, yeah. you, you have your reasons for not doing it, but now that he's, He's not here now. Yeah. I, you know, I, something may happen with it. You know, I think you have to, you have to, you have to respect the timing and everything and you have, and, and people are going to judge your motives for doing it. Okay. Maybe they're right. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I did what I did. I contributed what I contributed was happy to do it. Um, you know, okay. Maybe I want a few people to know. Is it, yeah. you know, does that make me a bad person? I don't know. So yeah. clearly right. I'm a racist and a, and a white supremacist. We've already established right, that. Right, right. Well, obviously, I mean, obviously yeah. you have yeah. no question. So let, let's close this thing out by, um, why don't you, why don't you go ahead and, and tell everybody what you and I are now working on? Ah, yes. Well, we, uh, we've been working on it and really, when did we first talk about this? We April? started talking about this uh, over six months. I mean, maybe eight months ago. I keep saying yeah. six months, but I keep forgetting that we're now almost into, you know, freaking March of yeah. 2020. Yeah, we're all we're almost a year from the start of the lockdowns. Right. So, so for, yeah, 10 months, maybe we've been talking about this and, and we've been we've been communicating with each other since the beginning and we've been we've been simpatico since the beginning. Uh, you and my wife and, uh, and, uh, uh, a couple of my employees and a few others, uh, from my church and so on have been, they've been, and, and Steve Dace, Steve Dace has been excellent on this mm -hmm. since, since day one. And he and I have communicated, um, you know, and, and my, my whole thing has been, this is, uh, this is, this is a scamdemic, um, a proportional scamdemic. That there is no mathematical justification for destroying our country, destroying our economy. Um, and uh, so months ago, I reserved the URL. We have, I haven't done anything with it because we're still, you know, working on this project. But I reserved the URL, uh, thescamdemicbook.com. And so uh, obviously you and I are working on the scamdemic book and the working title is either scamdemic or the scamdemic book colon you no. know how the how the left uh destroyed liberty uh and the nation or something right. along those yeah and between the two of us we probably have four hundred thousand words written already but this all has yeah they, to this is a, this is an editing down project at this point. right right yeah. it really it really is and so it's now a, a matter of uh, uh putting it in a readable format um that yeah uh, and i've got i've got some ideas about that that came to me today that we can discuss off air but yeah. uh what i want it to be i want this to be and that's why i got the url the scamdemic but i want this to be the scamdemic book the book right 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 the, and i and i want it to be for a lot of reasons but i definitely want it to be the one that you hold up and say, see, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, I, and I want, and we can give them probably 
500 moments like that in this and you you've been really great on the politics of this thing and whereas i've i've spent a lot more time on the 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 math and the science and the data uh, but uh, yeah and that's kind of why we felt like that this would be yeah, a yeah, good combo for us where we overlap is the math yeah right the math for the politics you you combine the math and the science and uh and and yeah like i said and, and obviously obviously this whole story this whole story wasn't even put into perspective until a few days after january 6th you know when we realized because because that was when they really decided they're just going to totally steal the country steal the internet yeah. steal media steal social media and that goes back to what this whole thing was was uh, uh started to get rid of trump and it's gone uh they've had a lot more success with the compliance and the sheep of the citizenry uh, uh we found out how math stupid the country is yeah um, it's yeah. post it's post math america steve because it is it is even even just the basic feel for statistics for ratios for numbers you realize that the scamdemic is a scamdemic and you realize the election is a fraud because there's certain obvious basic third grade mathematical principles that prove both of those. Right. Right. Now I did wait, I did wait, I did wait to use my fifth grade division skills to figure this thing out, but that was exactly where I, no, it was, it was fifth grade math that, uh, well, that was, that was Louisiana. That'd be third grade. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, we used to, we had a saying down in Louisiana that if it wasn't for Mississippi, we'd be last at everything. So, <laughs> there we go so anyway we, so, we, we know that you people in louisiana uh altered uh, shaquille o'neal's transcript downward so no out-of-state school would recruit him i mean we know well, how y'all do that yeah but but the the best story was um uh, uh the uh the chief's story you know who i'm talking about from uh boston celtics who was the chief ah parish uh, ah, Robert Parrish. The best story was Parrish's story because he wanted to stay close to mom. So he went to a little liberal arts college Centenary. in Shreveport, uh, you know, like 15, 1200 students only in the centenary. And um, he, Louisiana required the ACT test, not the uh, SAT. And so uh, centenary required a score of a 24 on the ACT test and uh, Parrish scored a four on it. And so they violated their own rules by giving him, uh, you know, admission to the school so that they could have him on the basketball team. And so for all four years, the only four years that Centenary has ever showed up in the rankings of, you know, the AP, UPI, uh, you know, polls, the only time they've ever been permitted to be on the rankings was when Robert Parrish was there on the court playing for them, and deservedly so. Uh, but they were forbidden to play in postseason or, or uh, you know, uh, because because they had violated their own rules, but both Parrish and the school accepted that and went forward with it because they wanted him and he wanted to stay close to mom. Yep, yep. And then he was with the Celtics, and the rest is history. So there, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And he went to he went to the same school with uh, Terry Bradshaw, Woodlawn High School. Uh, Joe Ferguson, remember Ferguson for the Buffalo Bills? And yeah, it was a uh, it was quite a little era there. Yeah, really was. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so we've, 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 we've diverted uh, away from rush and um, 
Let's close this thing out. Uh, obviously, I want everyone to do all the normal things. All the information is below. So wherever this is posted, all the information that you need as far as uh, making contacts with us, uh, supporting us, all of, the, all of those things are down in, in the, uh, the dialogue below this, uh, this video. So uh, that's, that's all we need to say about that. We don't need to do anything else except, once again, God bless. Thank you, uh, Edmund, for hanging out with me tonight for a little while and giving and 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 consenting to um, doing this with me tonight, as opposed to uh, waiting until you felt better about it, but uh, and having thought through it. But uh, I appreciate it. And um, I oh, by the way, I just finished somebody else's manuscript today on their book. So tomorrow, it it begins. All right, good. Yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch overnight. So yeah, absolutely. So rush. Godspeed. Thank you for all the years and uh, God bless. Amen. Thank you.